This morning we're continuing on with some Christmas messages for uh, the month of December. We are going to look in Luke chapter 11 today. So if you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 11. Today we kind of talk about the reason that Jesus came. And uh, the Bible tells us very clearly the reason that Jesus came. Uh, if you look at your notes there, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the second part of verse 8, it says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came, the Bible says it clearly, to, to destroy, to undo the works of the devil. We read about him doing that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 14 to 23. Let me read that and we'll have a word of prayer and then dive into our study. Luke 11:14, And he was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself, uh, excuse me, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now Jesus explains this whole thing. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Let's pray together. Lord, so many of us here are convinced that it's better to be with you, not against you. And uh, if there's anyone here that isn't with you, may they, may they choose to be with you, Lord. May they choose to see that you're good, Lord. If there are any here with horrible church experiences, Lord, would you just outshine those bad experiences today? Would you just become so wonderful in our eyes of faith, Lord, that, that we're so drawn to you, we just can't stay away. And so we ask, Lord, your blessing on this time and um, help our minds to understand and our hearts to receive. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your notes again. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. We see that here in in Luke chapter 11, that Jesus came and delivered a man who was demon-possessed and um, the man couldn't speak and so Jesus cast out the demon. Those who were against him said he did it by the, by the power of Beelzebub who was a, a pagan idol, a Gentile idol and Jesus just reasoned with them and it's real simple. It's just, you know, if, if a house is divided against itself, it won't stand. And so uh, there was really no legitimate argument against what Jesus was doing. Let's look through our notes here. Um, kind of just want to talk about this idea about Jesus destroying the works of the devil. Number one is we see that there's a problem in the world, and that's not hard to see, is it? You know, I chatted with a guy yesterday who was telling me about his philosophy of, of 
who the bad guys are and people behind the scenes pulling the strings and we're all puppets and you know the governments of the world and the secret societies and all of that. And, and some people kind of believe those things and I'm not going to start naming those things because then people will start taking sides in this and that. I don't know. Maybe there are secret societies. I don't know. Maybe there are rich people running the governments of the world. I don't know. But behind those guys is Satan. So if it's a bunch of lemmings following Satan or if it's guys in, in rich homes uh, you know, with buttons on their desks where they can push a button and nuclear you know, rockets go off. And all. I, I don't know. I don't know about all of that. I, I don't know about secret societies and you know, people making pacts and one world government and all. I know what the Bible says, that there's one called Satan. And he inspires all the wickedness in the world. He inspires all the evil. So however it plays out, I don't need to take too much time trying to identify how it plays out. I just know that it plays out because the Bible says that clearly. So I don't need to try to you know, slice and dice and parse out all of these things and try to identify the bad guys and the good guys. There's none righteous before God, no, not one. And so all men, whether, you know, whatever political persuasion you are, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever, all people need Jesus Christ. And there's Satan who's in the world, and he is the one, uh, the insurrectionist, if you will, inspiring people to do wrong. He opposes everything that's good. He seeks to influence people to do the same. His influence over man, he not only inspires outright rebellion, but suggests to people that, that wrong is right, that bad is good, that darkness is light, that light is darkness, that right is wrong. He reverses everything. And in my lifetime, you know, I'm in, in our country, in the world that I live in, I'm seeing that increasing and becoming more blatant all the time to the point, in my opinion, that it's absolutely ridiculous what people are trying to legitimize and say is right and wrong. It's just, to me, it's just silly. It's just crazy. It's insane what's going on. And people are very convinced about it and ready to fight for things. But the Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our, our warfare against, is, the, is against the wicked one and his minions. And so behind all of the craziness, behind all the rebellion, behind whatever world governments there are, behind whatever secret societies, behind the gangs in the inner city, behind all these things, behind you know, bad people in high places, and there's, they're getting called out, and I'm okay with that right now. Behind all of that is one called Satan instigating people to do things that are in direct opposition to God and believing that it's okay. It happens on the micro level. It happens on the macro level. It happens downtown. It happens in the White House. All over the place. All over the world. In ways that we don't know. The Bible says that Satan has sinned from the beginning. His name started as Lucifer. When he was first created, his name was Lucifer. And the name means light bearer. And the Bible seems to teach us that he was a great a bearer of light and perhaps even uh, the ministering angel in charge over music. Not going to chase that down. You can do that on your own. But the, the root of his sin was pride. Look at your notes there. Isaiah 14. This is, this is attributed to Satan as he said this before, before time began. He said in the presence of God, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And the Bible tells us because of the rebellion and the pride and the self-promotion of Satan that God removed him. And he was no longer the light bearer but became the wicked one. 
He sinned then and he's only sinned since. That's all that he ever does. I like what one pastor friend of mine says. He says, Satan never has a good day. (laughs) He never does a good thing. He never does anything right. He only does that which is wrong. The Bible describes him as a murderer, a deceiver, a destroyer, a killer, a liar, and an imposter. Look at your notes. This is what Jesus said about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When his lips are moving, he's lying. That's all that he does. That's all that he does. His influence in the world, we see it. It's easy to see. In a sense, the Bible tells us this, and some people might get kind of bothered by it, but please let me kind of unravel it a little bit, unpack it a little bit. The Bible says whoever sins is of the devil. At at face value, somebody might hear that and say, wait a minute, I'm not a Satanist, and I don't do those things that Satanists do, and all that insanity. I believe what the, the Apostle John is saying, he writes that in 1 John, whoever sins is of the devil. Whoever sins is inspired of the wicked one who can very subtly and very deceitfully convince us that it's okay to go against the ways of God. He tempted Adam and Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden, the first human couple. They, their nature was changed as a result of that. Before sin, there was no Awareness of guilt. Guilt comes because of sin. We have a dog. Her name is April. And she's a sinner. (laughs) She's half pit bull and half uh, lab, we think. But it's really funny. Sometimes I'll come home, you know, and she's been in the house for a long time. I I even put a, a video on my Facebook page if you want to try to find it. I come home and usually she's barking and the tail's wagging and sometimes she, she wags her tail so hard sometimes, they ha- what do they call it? Happy dog syndrome. She wags her tail so hard she'll hit the corner of a wall and it'll bleed. And she doesn't even care. And then she's spraying little droplets of blood about three feet off the ground. We're wiping down walls and she's just this happy dog, you know? Especially when I come home. <laughs> Unless she's done something wrong. And then she's like this. And then I immediately get out my phone and get it. I just videotape it, you know. Not tape, but I make a video of it because I just laugh. I just, it's so funny to me. And I'll scold, what did you do? Tell daddy what you did. What did you? The dog, even the dog has a sense of guilt. But guilt comes, I mean, she doesn't feel guilty because she did everything right all day. She feels guilty because she did something wrong. Jumped up on the bed or whatever she did. Adam and Eve, before they sinned, guys, had no sense of guilt. Wouldn't that that be a great life, to have no sense of guilt? To have no sense of shame? To not have the sorrow that comes with guilt because we believed one called the wicked one. We believed one named Satan who inspired our hearts and it trickled down to us in any number of ways, but we believe the lie and we we broke the commandments of God and then we feel the, the shame and the guilt and we hide it, or we lie about it, or we blame shift, or whatever else we do. But Adam and Eve, before they sinned against God, they never felt any of that. It was as God would have it to be. When they sinned, sin came into the world. The Bible says that sin brings death, and death comes to all men because we all sin. 
They passed on their proclivity to sin unto us. We took on their nature. It says in the beginning, God created man in his image. And after that, after they sinned, it says Adam and Eve created children, man in their own image, which was with a fallen nature. A proclivity to sin. Those cute little kids in the nursery over there, they're all little sinners. My beautiful grandchildren. Number eight's coming in two weeks. It'll be born a sinner. <laughs> Don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but it's a little sinner. You know, as soon as it has the ability to say no or hit or mine, it's going to say no or it's going to hit or it's going to say mine. Because we have that nature that's been passed on to us. And that originated with, with Satan influencing Adam and Eve. And their nature was passed on to us. That's why it says whoever has sins is of the devil. Because that's, that will trace it back to the root. Trace it back to the, to the source. That's where it came from. But look at your notes. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, humanity has a huge problem. There's a, there's a great spiritual being who has, we believe, a third of the angels of God with him that are out corrupting humanity and doing all sorts of horrible things. But Jesus came to destroy that. He came to undo all of that. Look at your notes. Jesus is a solution. First of all, Jesus was manifested. It doesn't say necessarily that Jesus was born, though he was born, but Jesus was manifested. There's, there, there, I have keys in my pocket. They're there even though you don't see them. Now they're manifested. They didn't start to exist when they were manifested. They, are, they were already there. They already existed, but then they were manifested. Jesus pre-existed creation. He pre-existed in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, but he was manifested. He was seen. He stepped into humanity by taking on flesh. So he would come and destroy the works of the devil. He's God the Son, always eternal. He's always existed. Look at your notes at the bottom of page one. In the beginning was the Word, another name for Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word isn't a concept, the Word is a person. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And when the beginning started, the one named the Word already existed. So if you pre-exist creation, that means you're divine. And so he pre-existed creation and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It goes on to say in the Gospel of John that by by Moses the law came. Well, Ten Commandments, remember that, right? Ten Commandments telling us how to live, what to do, what not to do. But it was only the law, it wasn't grace. And when the law is there, if you break the law, you're guilty. How does grace come? Christ came to die for your sins. He came to undo the works of the devil. He came to indwell you, to indwell men and women who open their hearts to him, to change them from the inside. So I'm the pastor and I study the Bible and yada, 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 you know, whatever that means. But I'm telling you, I just about every day I wake up and I feel like a little kid and I just say, honestly, guys, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just, this is my testimony. I wake up in the morning and I just say, Lord, I'm so glad to be a Christian. I'm so glad that I know you. 
That doesn't mean I'm going to have a great day or a good day or a bad day or a perfect day. Or, it doesn't mean anything. It just means that when, it, when you boil it all down, Jesus is real to me and to, real to so many of us. I opened my heart to him when I was 16 years old and he's real. You might as well try to tell me that my wife doesn't exist. Jesus is real to me and he's real to so many of us. His grace, his, his mercy, his love. He tells me the truth about myself but then he tells me also the truth about him dying for my sins so that I can be forgiven. Remember how we were talking about shame and guilt? I still have some, but it doesn't last like it used to because I can come to him and I can say, you know what, Lord, th- thank you that you died for me. Please forgive me. I know that you do. I know that you were ready to forgive me before I asked. And I'm sorry for whatever. I'm sorry for acting like April, my dog. <laughs> Sorry that I come like this to you every once in a while. You really got to check out my Facebook page. It's really hilarious. I should put it on YouTube and try to make money. I don't know. But it's just so good to know the Lord. It's just so good. I can't be talked out of him. The Bible says that Jesus was manifested. Look at the bottom of page one. The word manifested, it means to make manifest or visible or known. To know that which has been hidden or unknown to make actual and visible, to make realized, to expose to view, to make manifest, to show oneself, to appear. For this purpose, the Son of God showed up. He already existed, but he stepped into our world. That's what Christmas is about, right? The birth, the baby. Mary, impregnated by the power of God without the the participation of, of her betrothed husband. The Son of God born in the womb and placed into the womb of a young girl. He was manifested. He came to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. And so many of us know that and have experienced that. You've already turned the page. I heard you. Look at Philippians chapter 2. This is another description of that whole thing. Philippians 2. And Pastor Rob's going to teach on this next week, so I won't try to steal his glory here because he can arm wrestle me any day. He's a strong guy. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He was manifested to take away or to undo, to destroy the works of the devil. How did he do that? By by paying the price. Guys, when people sin, if you break the law, you get arrested, you get a ticket, you get taken to jail, whatever the case is, and, and, and something has to be paid for that wrongdoing. Jesus paid for our wrongdoing, if we will accept it. Jesus paid for our wrongdoing. Once again, why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It doesn't mean to annihilate them. Because obviously there's... Satan's still working, isn't he? He's still doing his mischief. He's still doing his destructive stuff. He didn't, Jesus didn't eliminate the works of the devil. The word to destroy it literally means to loosen. It's like if somebody has a grip on you, a grip around your neck, and, and somebody else comes and loosens their hand off of your neck. They don't destroy the hand. They just break the power of the hand. It means to dissolve, to render inoperative, to rob of power. The Bible exposition commentary says it this way, another, just another paraphrase. 
Satan has not been annihilated. He will be, but not yet. But his power has been reduced and his weapons have been impaired. He is still a mighty foe, but he is no match for the power of God. Kenneth Wiest, in his paraphrase of the Bible, says this, For this purpose there was manifested the Son of God, in order that he might bring to naught or bring to nothing the works of the devil. How wonderful it is when somebody comes and rescues you. They come and undo the mess that you get yourself into. They, you're, you're, you're stuck in a situation and you can't get out of it. You don't have the power or the resources. And somebody comes and rescues you. And that's what Jesus came to do. To rescue us from the influence, from the, the lies, the power, the manipulation, the oppression, the fear. He came to heal us of self-hatred. And we're not going to get healed of everything perfectly in this life, you know, but we are in the next. I know, I know a, a sister in Christ who is, has some really severe mental problems. And uh, she, does self, she has a lot of self-destructive behavior. Cutting and burning, all of that. And it's gotten better over the years because she's really pressing into Jesus. She's really trying hard. She's a Christian. We have fellowship. But then she'll stumble and just do the wrong thing. But she never stays there. She always bounces back. And such, it is, such as it is with all of us, guys, we, Jesus doesn't call us to be perfect. He's, he calls us to be people of faith and to trust him. And when we fall, we say, Lord, I did this wicked one lied to me again or whatever the case is or I, was, I believe the lie, I live for myself, but thank you, Jesus, that you came to destroy the works of the devil. And before, he used to have his foot on my neck and he doesn't have his foot on my neck anymore. Sometimes I believe him, sometimes I give in, but he doesn't have his foot on my neck. That's why Jesus came. And so he, he heals us a lot in this life. And I know if I asked for a show of hands, a lot of hands would go up that he's done a lot of healing in us in this room. But we're not perfect yet, but, but we will be totally healed when we go to be with him. Oh, what a day. Oh, what a day. First John 3, 5 says this, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Jesus loosens and destroys the work of the devil in two ways. I've kind of alluded to this already. Number one, there's the judicial way. There's the way that a judge settles a crime. So Jesus died for you to undo the works of the devil as a judge. He died on a cross to pay for your past sins. The sins that man has committed found their origin in Satan and man willingly sinned and it brings judgment. Christ died for our past sins to free us from God's judgment. It's, it's the judicial blessing. It's the judicial benefit where the judge says, yeah, I know you were guilty, but somebody paid for you. You're not guilty. You're free to go. And so there's that judicial blessing. But Jesus also came to heal us, to make us better, to heal our minds, 
to heal the hurt, to give us self-control over life-dominating sins, to help us not believe the lies that people have told us or that we tell ourselves. Look at the notes here, 1 John 4, 4. The Bible says, He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And it's so wonderful to be liberated truth by truth. It's so wonderful to be, uh, as a friend of mine said, to surrender is to join the winning side. It's so wonderful to join, to join the winning side, to join Jesus. To surrender to Jesus is to join the winning side. And as you join the winning side, you realize, oh, I thought I used to have to live that way. I don't have to live that way anymore. I may choose to at times, but I don't have to live that way anymore. I've likened it into this. I've, I've thought about this and, and thought, you know, life without Jesus is being locked in a, a prison cell, an emotional prison cell. Life with Jesus is he comes and opens the door and you're free to go because he paid for your crime. Now you're free to go. The court can't blame you anymore. But a lot of us sometimes just linger in the cell because it's what we're used to. It's all we know. I've talked to, I've talked to some, uh, some, some guys who have done hard time in penitentiaries and uh, it's hard for them to come out. I, I know one brother in Christ, he was in, in, uh, in penitentiaries for 14 years he even says when he walks up to a door sometimes, when you're a prisoner, you're not allowed to open the door, so sometimes he'll walk up to a door and he'll forget, oh, I, I can open that. There's, there's a relearning process. And it, it's frightening for some guys to come out, and, and women to come out of prison because, they haven't, because living as a free person requires a lot of responsibility. When, you're, when, you're, when your freedom's taken away, then somebody else is making your own decisions so you don't have to struggle through the decision-making process anymore. You just do what they tell you to. But when the sun sets you free, you're what? Free indeed. But now you have to learn how to live free. And that requires some faith. And that requires not being afraid and not second-guessing yourself and trying not to make the, the mistakes and all those things. And sometimes we just, uh, at least in the prison cell, I'm familiar here. But Jesus came and he opened the door to the prison cell. And then he helps us step-by-step step learn how to go out of the prison cell, right? Finally realize, I don't have to live there anymore. I don't have to think the wrong thing. I don't have to do the wrong thing. I don't have to be a victim of what my parents did or what people did or what I did or any of that. I'm, I'm, Jesus came to set me free, to heal me. And I really appreciate, honestly, my testimony. I really appreciate the healing God's done in my life. Because without him, I'm crazy. <laughs> you can laugh. <laughs> Try doing that opposite directions. I practice. I'm nuts without him. I'm a mess without him. But I love the healing that he does. It's beautiful. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Bible expositional commentary there. Look at your notes. It says, Satan is the strong man. We read that story in Luke chapter 11. Satan is the strong man, and his goods are lost men and women. The only way to release the goods is to bind the strong man. And that is just what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus, in coming to earth, invaded Satan's palace. When he died, he broke Satan's power and captured his goods. Each time a lost sinner is won to Christ, more of Satan's spoils are taken from him. That's what Jesus taught us. He said, yeah, Satan is a strong man, but I'm stronger. And I can overpower him and I can set people free, people that he's put in bondage in any number of ways, guys. 
I can set them free and I can heal them. It doesn't mean they're perfect and there's still a struggle. We're going to struggle our way into heaven. But it's a good fight. The Bible says fight the good fight. The fight of faith is a good fight to fight. So we keep moving forward because Jesus made it so that we could. Jesus' work is to loosen and dissolve the work of the enemy against the life of a Christian. Look at that list, guys. I just want you to you know, maybe make some mental notes about your own life. This is what Jesus came to do. To shed truth upon lies. To bring light into darkness. To turn confusion into clarity. To turn ruts of sin into lifestyles of holiness. To bring faith where there is fear. To bring comfort where there is pain, to bring eternal life, and this is really the most important, and it all starts with this, to bring eternal life with God instead of eternal death away from the presence of God. And when a person becomes a Christian, eternal life starts the moment they say yes. Eternal life isn't something that we start enjoying when we leave this earth. Eternal life is something we start enjoying the moment we say yes to Jesus. It's not only a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. Life with God. Excuse me one moment. So if all that's true, what does it mean? I haven't told you guys about this story for a long time. The old timers have heard all my stories, except for the ones I'm going to make up in the future. Um, but early on in my Christian life, I, I, I hated Christians that hugged. And uh, and there was this one pastor, Rich Cathers, uh, Calvary Chapel Fullerton. We were both attending Calvary Anaheim at the time. And that guy was a hugger. And I'd see him come and it's like, get away from me, dude. I'm just going to, you know, we'll shake hands like men. Keep your hugs to yourself, you know. And there were so many things in my life that I was just so hung up on, you know? The way I thought about myself. I have a blog. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's uh, pastorbillwalden.com if you want to read. But I, I have an article on there that's entitled, I Used to Hate Christmas. I did. I hated Christmas. Because it was such a, such a time for me to... Uh, gosh, I'm saying way too much today. <laughs> Nobody's going to come back next week. Um, I just, because I, I was, it was a time when, I, when it was revealed to me how thoughtful everybody else was to everybody else. And I was just so stuck on me. People are opening all these great presents and I just got them a stick of gum or something. I don't know, you know, just, and just, there were so many things wrong emotionally and mentally and all these things in my life, you know. Didn't want to hug, hated Christmas, you know, just all kinds of stuff, you know. And the Lord just heals us, you know? He just heals us. And I used to tell guys like Rich Cathers, you don't know what it's like. You didn't grow up in my house and my parents and this and that, blah, 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 and you don't know what it's like. And you probably had the perfect leave it to Beaver family. Boomer generation knows what that means. And you, you, don't, you just like Disneyland all the time. And you just, you make me sick. You're so happy. You know, you know I hate people that are happy like you. I just, well, really, that's how I felt, you know, all the time. And it was just, I just didn't understand the joyful Christian life. 
because I was just so stuck on my emotions and what had happened to me and what I had done and all of that. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I was a Christian, but I was still not enjoying what Jesus came to do. I wasn't enjoying the fact that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And so this is the part of the message here where now we've heard all the facts, so what does it mean? It means that you have to appropriate that work of Christ. You have to bring it into your life by faith. You You have to believe the word of God. Number one, if you're not a Christian... You don't, you, please don't wait until you're good enough because you're never going to be good enough. If you know that you've sinned against God and you're sorry, come and just say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Make me born again. Which doesn't mean he's making you a Republican. It just means he's making you a new creature. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're a new person and then you grow into the newness of that life. And it starts with confession and conversion and being saved. And then if you are a Christian, and I understand this, and that's why I share it with you guys, just to let you know, I know a lot of us still go through a lot of stuff, a lot of speed bumps in life, you know? But how do we get past all that stuff? By appropriating by faith what Jesus said. That he came to destroy the works of the devil. That when hard times come, I don't have to respond emotionally anymore. I don't have to respond in fear anymore. When I'm not sure if we're going to have enough money, I don't have... He said he's going to provide for me. He said if I seek his kingdom first and seek his righteousness, all things that I need will be given to me. He said all things will work together for my good. So if something goes wrong, I can just believe and I have to believe. Lord, you're going to work it together for good. Because if I don't believe that, then I'm going to get all emotionally strung out and I'm going to do something stupid. Jesus came to destroy. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. But that does no one any good unless you say, Lord, I believe that. And when this person does this or that critical statement is made again or when we're low on money again or when my health is failing or when Satan brings back all the wrong things that I've done, I'm just not going to listen to that or or view that. Lord, I'm just going to bring it to you and let it just kind of fade into nothing before you because you came to destroy the works of the devil. And you came to set me free. And there's a lot of ways that he does that, but I want to believe your word. I want to appropriate it. I want to take it. And I used to hate when Pastor Chuck Smith used to say that. Oh, just appropriate it by faith, you know. It's like, don't tell me that. You don't understand. He totally understood. I felt like nobody understood. They totally understood. I was the one that didn't understand. I was the one that just was stuck. A lot of us have been the stuck ones, right? Amen? We've been the stuck ones. How do we get unstuck? By saying Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so I don't want to live under the condemnation of all my past anymore and all my inclinations and I don't want to be fearful anymore and I don't want to fight back like I used to and I don't want to run to drugs or alcohol when I'm feeling bad. I don't want to do these things anymore. I don't want to doubt my salvation anymore. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Case closed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And a lot of Christians go around feeling condemned all the time. Guys, the prison door is open, but you're still kind of retreating back into it again. Step out of that. Step out of that prison cell. By faith. Not by feelings. By faith. 
And I don't even know how to tell you to do that beyond, beyond what I just said. This, this, this life of faith business, it's kind of, Jesus said the life of the Spirit, and, you know, he said, he talked about being born again in John chapter 3. This religious guy named Nicodemus came and asked Jesus, you know, how can these things be? And Jesus said, you know, it's kind of like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going, but you see the effects of it. And the, and the Christian life, I just want to encourage you guys, I'm just about done here, so, but please don't miss this. The Christian life sometimes is kind of hard to grab a hold of in some ways. It's not just learning this book, although this is radically important. It's not just not doing those things anymore and coming to church. It's all of that. But, but a lot of it is still, we might run into these things and we say, I don't know how I'll ever get past this. I don't know how I'm ever going to change this thing. I don't, know how God's going to, I don't know how God's going to put forgiveness in my heart for that guy or that woman. I don't know how he's going to do this because I'm stuck here on this thing. But Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. How do we get unstuck? By faith. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? What book do I read? I don't know. At some point, I don't know. Because it's kind of like the wind. Now, I'm going to give you a little silly parallel here, but I hope you'll grab a hold of it. When I saw Deborah Jean Dury at Fullerton College in 1977, that's my wife, by the way, if you don't know, I was like, hubba, hubba. Oh, yeah, you know. And it was like, I don't know how I'm going to make her my wife. I don't know how I'm going to, because we are like radically mismatched, in case you didn't notice. It was even worse then. But if you want it bad enough, you're going to find a way. You're going to find a way. And it's not by doing the same thing over again. It might not be by going to more Bible studies or more church services or committing more verses to memory, although all those things are tremendous. It might be something else that you haven't discovered yet. You didn't even know, how's God going to do this thing in my life? And I would say the best things that God has done in our lives, so many of them, we never would have imagined how he was going to do it, right? Amen? But then we, we were desperate for him. Like I wanted Deborah to be my girlfriend and eventually my wife. You find a way and you press into God. And the Bible says in the book of James, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Well, I tried it once. Try it a hundred times. Or just have a nice cell. Or just live out your Christianity with the door open, but there you get three hots and a cot. You know, there you are in your jail cell. And well, I tried. I went to church. It didn't. Well, do something else. I don't know. Seek the Lord with all your heart, and you'll find Him. Right? And I'm not saying where He's going to heal us of everything, but there may be some things that He really wants to touch that we just kind of quit chasing Him down over. I forgot I was going to read you a verse. If you have any questions, fire away. I'll try to answer them. Look at the bottom of, the, of page two. This, this, is, this, is, this is the point that I want to make. We need to receive. We need to receive the reason and receive the things that Jesus came to give us. 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Christ was in the world, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or holding their trespasses against them. He's committed to us, Christians, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love this. This is just crazy to me. As though God were pleading through us. God begs, he uses people to, to, as, as his begging mouthpieces. He uses people through whom he will speak, pleading with people, be reconciled to God. Come into oneness with God. Surrender. Join the winning side. Join the winning side. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took our place that right, the righteousness of Christ is credited to the Christian. We stand before God declared innocent. That just drives, not drives me crazy, but it just it blows my mind. I just can't, what, me? <laughs> yeah, all of us. Innocent before the Lord. Look at these last two verses. We then as workers together with him. Notice, guys, please receive this. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive God's grace in vain. If you're a Christian today, his, it's his grace that was extended to you and you said yes for salvation. Beautiful, marvelous, wonderful. You said yes to him. You received his grace for salvation. But that's not all the grace there is. There's also grace for daily living. And there's also grace for healing. And there's also grace for change. Romans 8 says that God is transforming us, changing us into the image of Christ. There's grace for that. And that's when we say, these things in my life, I know, but there's grace for that. Grace is God's divine presence, his assistance for us. Therefore, guys, look at this. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I've heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And may I say this, the word salvation doesn't just mean forgiven of sins. It also means to be made whole, to be made healthy. Today is the day that God, God always wants to work health into us. I'm not saying lack of illness. We're going to get sick because we're still sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But I'm talking about the healing. Whatever healing God intends to do, could, could he drop healing out of the sky? Sure he could. Okay, hear me out here. Listen. Could he drop healing out of the sky? Absolutely. But that wouldn't necessarily build up your perseverance of faith. He also wants us to press into him. Draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. There's a beauty when God drops something out of heaven and just gifts us. It's beautiful. But there's another kind of beauty when we seek him with all of our heart and soul and strength and then he meets us then that way. It's another kind of beauty. 
And so don't receive the grace of God in vain. I don't know if there's any questions uh, this morning. You read that Jesus said that Satan was no good from the beginning, but also read that his original name was Bearer of Light. Does this contradict? No, it doesn't. In his, when originally created, he was the Bearer of Light, but from the beginning, when you read the words beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when the clock started ticking, God already existed. So God, God exists outside of time. So when the clock started ticking, he already existed. So when the clock started ticking, that was the beginning. And when the beginning started, Satan had already fallen. But at some point in eternity past, he was the bearer of light. That's a good question. Are light bearer and angel of light the same person? Um, I would have to read the context of the, of the passage. Sometimes words are used interchangeably and phrases are used interchangeably. So... Um, they say that when you're buying a house, the three most important things, location, location, location. When you're reading the Bible, the three most important things, context, 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 always. So read the passage, and that usually answers the question. If other religions also have the foundational teaching that their deity pre-existed all creation, and these religions historical are marked as, some, as more ancient than the Judeo-Christian faith, then does it appear the idea of an eternally existing deity was borrowed by Judaism and Christianity? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so, because um, regardless of... Good question, let me think it through for a minute. By the time Christianity was getting worked out, there were definitely other religions... But the truth of Christianity isn't just based on the timeline about when it appeared. It's based also on the stated facts historically, archaeologically, in, in a literal fashion. When we, when we want to determine if Christianity is, is really, if, if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, how do we determine that? We look at the Bible historically. We look at, the, we look at archaeology. We, look at, we, we compile facts from all uh, areas of study to determine if there's enough evidence that we should believe. Look at, we can believe anything we want. Fine. The bigger question is, why do you believe it? You can't just say, well, I believe this. Okay, well, I can say I believe anything. I believe you should give me your wallet. <laughs> I guarantee you'd say, why? Well, it's just because I believe it. See, that, does, that doesn't drive the argument. If you believe something, you have to say why. If you believe in Hinduism or Buddhism or Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or whatever the case may be or you're, 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 you're spiritual but not religious or whatever the case may be, okay, fine, but why? And, and, and what, what, what's the foundation of your belief system? Show me all the things that you have compiled because essentially and eventually I'm going to have faith and you're going to have faith and we're all believing in something that we can't see. But in believing in Christianity, there's enough compiled facts that come together that lead me to the conclusion of saying, this must be it. And then that private, eternal, spiritual thing happens when I say yes to him, and then I realize, oh, it is it. I can't convince you based on my, necessarily, on my private experience with Jesus Christ, but I would point you to all the facts, and there's tons of studies out there to do that. We have to come to a, a place where we have to say, I believe that this is the truth, and here is why. And then when, we, when, the, when the Christian says, Lord, come into my life, then we experience it personally. 
and I can't experience it personally for you. You have to do that for yourself. Hope that answers the question somewhat. It's a, it's a good question. Is it true that Jesus' birth actually occurred in March or April? There's a lot of evidence that points to that. The whole December Christmas thing has been adopted somewhere along the way. But whether he was born in December, March, or April, he still came to destroy the works of the devil. So it doesn't, you know. Those things don't, don't bother me. The way the churches have taken pagan holidays and put a twist on them and this and that, and uh, to, me, to me, you know, this, this isn't wicked, it's just a nice fake tree. And, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I don't want to get hung up on those things. My, my Christian faith isn't about December 25th, it's about Jesus Christ. So, but it's a good question. It's a good question. We're going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close with song. We're also, guys, you know, the last thing that I encourage you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil.